So, I'm delighted. I'm always delighted to be on stage, but I'm delighted to introduce Sarah to come and join me up here as she comes and shares the word with us. It's going to be good. I believe what you... I'll be honest with you. When I, when I first heard your name, and I'm sure you know this, uh, when I first heard your name, I heard foreheads. And, uh, I've never heard that before. Yeah, I know. I'm, it's a revelation from the Lord. And, uh, but but <laughs> I felt this. I believe there's, there's something in you and your husband, Ethan, that God has placed there that's made you hard-headed to take territory for the kingdom. Amen. That it's, an, it's, it's a godly stubbornness. And I, 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 really, I honor you for that. Amen. So bless Amen. you. Amen. Thank you so much. Man, it is so good to be here. Um, I just got to know Pastor Derek today. Can you just honor that man? He's amazing. Amen. And his beautiful wife, Haiti, she's so pretty. I thought you were a lot older than her, but I was wrong, right? <laughs> and Leah, and I know there's more. I know there's more to your family, but I just met the three of them, and they're amazing. Um, you know, it was interesting. I was asking him kind of how he got here, um, and he was like, Abraham. I mean, he didn't say that, but I'm like, you're Abraham. It's like, go to a land that you know not, to a people that you know not, ready, Go. And there's just no hesitation, and I love that. Um, listen, if the Lord is calling you to something, jump in and obey. Jump in and obey. Here's why. I tell my children this all the time. I have three of them. I say, listen, God's plan for your life is better than anything you could ever plan for yourself. That is the truth. That is the truth. Um, and you can, you can follow a, a family that recognizes that. And is willing to pack up everything they own and move across the world, not across the country, not across town, across the world, to pastor this church. And I just think it's amazing. So we honor you, um, even though it's Mother's Day. And Haiti, happy Mother's Day to you. So thank you. If you have your Bible, open it up to Mark chapter 5. Um, this passage... Um, is amazing. Honestly, I was going to talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And as we were worshiping, I just felt like, no, it's Mark chapter five. It's also a story with a parent in it. Um, it in fact, it's a father and I know it's Mother's Day, but you know what? Um, we, we honor the dads too. We're okay with that. Moms are okay with honoring the dads. You know why? Because we do that most days anyway. <laughs> so it's fine. Um, but this passage, I love this passage. I'm going to give you a little setup before we jump into the verses. But essentially, there's two different stories in one. Um, this is Jairus and the woman with the issue. Could be the mother with the issue. But we know it's a woman with an issue. We don't know her name. But what I love so much about this is I feel like it is applicable to everybody not just moms. And the reason is because in different times and seasons of our life, we might be the Jairus, the one who everybody knows his name. He would be a person who you're kind of used to everybody dropping what they're doing to like serve you and to honor you and to get you what you need because he was well known. He's the leader of a local synagogue. And then the woman with the issue 
Maybe that's you today, whether you're a man or woman, you might just be the man with the issue. You might be the man who um, nobody knows your name, they just know you by your condition. And good or bad, you've, you've maybe taken on that as your identity. Oh, he's the man whose son is in prison. She's the woman whose business went under. Or, you know, you're Jairus. He's like the, the principal of the school, the leader of the synagogue, the three-piece suit-wearing man. But either way, the, the commonality that we're about to see in this passage is they are desperate for the Lord. And there is beauty. Desperation is a gift to you. It's a gift to me. Now, of course, you don't recognize that if you're in the middle of it. But long after, or even maybe shortly thereafter, you recognize that the desperation in your life is a gift from God because you will see him move differently. So, starting in verse 21, Mark chapter 5, it says this. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. There, a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please, come lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. I'm going to stop right there. So this is Jairus. All of a sudden, he gives 0% care what anybody else thinks. Because sometimes we are too keenly aware of what other people might think. We, we, we don't really want to worship too freely because we might look a fool. Like Jairus would have been used to having a certain amount of, of dignity, you know, carrying his briefcase. I can just picture him in his three-piece suit, you know. But on this day, Jairus doesn't care what anybody else thinks or says. He is desperate to see Jesus. And there's something about the position, the posture that he takes, the feet of Jesus getting low before Jesus. Because he does his best work in our moments of desperation where we recognize, you know, we've done everything that we know to do. If you could do it yourself, you've done it yourself. But in this situation, Jairus is like, you have to save my daughter. She's dying. And some of you, maybe your child is in a physical condition of death, but maybe it's a spiritual condition and you are desperate for the Lord to move. Can I tell you that he is well able? He is still the God who calls wayward children home. He's still the God who raises the dead, who heals the sick, who casts out demons. That is the Jesus that we serve. But will we position ourselves? in a place of desperation where we don't care what the masses say. We don't care what we'll look like. We are desperate, pleading fervently at the feet of Jesus. That's where Jairus finds himself. And you know, honestly, his daughter is sick, so that's no good. But the good news is Jesus is on the way. Jesus, it says, is following Jairus. I mean, this is a man who's used to people being at his beck and call. And at least for a moment, Jesus is no different. He's like, I'm on my way. Here I go. I'm coming to your house. Until he's not. Until he's not. Because sometimes we are like, hey, this is emergent. This is urgent. I need to see you now, Jesus. Right now would be a good time because I'm desperate. My daughter is dying. She's about to die. And I need you now. And Jesus is on his way until he's not. 
And you know what the instruction for us is? Is there are things that we think are urgent, we think are emergent, but we're actually missing what's most important right in front of us. Because Jesus stops on the way to the emergency. Because a woman whose name we do not know, all we know is that she has an issue. Verse 25, it says, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she'd gotten no better. In fact, she'd only gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. She could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. You know, sometimes we can better identify with the woman with the issue because we all have seasons of life where we are the person with the issue. And too often we grow comfortable in the issue. We think it's out of necessity. Like, I'm just the woman with the issue of blood. I'm just the woman with the wayward child. I'm just the man whose business folded. I'm just the one who has this addiction that I cannot kick. And we take on this identity that Jesus never meant for us to carry. So why on this day, after 12 years bleeding, did she not care anymore about the rules, about the box, about the religion? I mean, you understand that during this cultural context, she could not have left her home. Because to do so would have been against the law, and then everybody that she touched would have been made ceremonially unclean. But on this day, she was like, you know what? I've heard about this man. I've heard about Jesus, but I want to see him. I want to see him move. I want to see him do his greatest work, and I will move hell and high water to get to him. And she leaves her house and says she's pressing through the crowd do you recognize every single person she's touching is now unclean in her world? But when we are desperate for God, we move differently. We see him move differently and we move differently. Like whether you're Jairus and you're pleading loudly in front of crowds of people or you're this woman and you're like I am done with the isolation. I'm done with the sickness. I'm done with the the label. I'm done with the condition. I am going to see him move. I mean, some of us, we are here this morning and we've heard about Jesus. Maybe we've been raised right. We've gone to Sunday school. Our parents taught us the right way, but yet we've only ever heard about him. We haven't seen him. We're here to taste and to see that the Lord is good. Because once you've seen him, you're never going back. Once you've seen his power on display, you'll never forget it. You know, it, it's awesome because we can know God, but, but we also want to know him even experientially. He's okay with that. Some people get triggered by it. They're like, oh, well, it's not emotional. Like, no, it's emotional if you've been bleeding for 12 years and now you're not. That's emotional. That's not emotionalism. It's emotional. And you'll never forget it. Because if you've been in a condition only ever identified by it and you're no longer who you were, that's emotional. And guess what? That's okay. That's okay. 
lest we be a people who in America have to have like this, this box, this is how he operates, this is what it's going to look like. Like, I mean, to a degree, we can all be somewhat comfortable with Christianity if you've been in it for a while. But what happens when he completely knocks your socks off and it looks so crazy to you? You'll never forget it. That's what happens. Then you've tasted and you've seen and you can't not go and tell them. You have to tell them who you've seen. And this woman... She says immediately she was healed. Verse 30, Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my robe? It's so interesting. I mean, there's crowds of people around him, potentially thousands of people around him. And he's such a personal God. He's like, who touched me? And his disciples are like, well, what do you mean? The crowd pressing around you, how do you ask who touched me? He's like, I recognize that power went out. Who touched me? You know, that's the same God, like in this corporate setting. Just like Pastor said, it's still this individual touch. Holy Spirit, absolutely fill the atmosphere, but fill me as an individual. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of Jesus, the personal touch that he recognizes. Because he recognizes you. He sees you as an individual. He knows you by name. He's calling you today. That's why you're here. You think your daughter drug you here. Your son drug you here. Or maybe you drew, you drug your kids here. No, this date was written on the calendar of your life before the foundations of the earth. So that you would stop identifying yourself by this condition and you would be desperate enough to get to the feet of Jesus that you would not be a hearer, but you will have seen him. And I love that he says, who touched my robe? Like, in other words, like, I know that Jairus' daughter is in her condition. I know that this woman needed my healing power, but I'm completely interruptible. I mean, Jesus is never in a hurry. He's, I mean, we get, myself included, right? We're like, we go from A to B to C to D and everything is super scheduled and super planned and there's very little margin. No, Jesus in the middle of thousands of people, everybody's pressing in around him and he stops for the one. And he's completely interruptible. We live in a culture that we're no longer interruptible. I think we got better at it, I, at least I did during COVID, because I recognized, wait a minute, everything that I thought was like super urgent is actually not what's most important. And it, it literally made me change my schedule out of the mouth of babes. I can remember my nine-year-old boy, I have two girls and then a boy, and he said somewhere right as COVID was starting to happen, he said, mom, we never have a night together as a family to eat dinner anymore. And I was like, Ooh, that's important to me. But the urgency of the sports schedules had taken over life, really on accident. I never meant it to be that way. And I was like, either soccer or baseball has to go pick. One of them has to go. I know that those things are not inherently evil and you're great at both of them. I enjoy your teams, your coaches are great. All of those things are true. But it, it was making me care to the urgent, but not the actual important. 
something had to change. And so it was actually during that season of life where I was like, this is over. Like, are we interruptible people? Because there is a lost and dying and broken world all around us. I mean, we go into the workplace every day with lost and dying people. You have the answer in Christ. You have the answer. You have the life jacket. Throw it to them. They are drowning. But we're urgently, urgently getting our job done. I have to do this and this and this before I leave the office. And Jesus is saying, be interruptible. I'm interruptible in the middle of an emergency. I will get to Jairus. I will get to him. But right now, this is what is in front of me. And I'm telling you, to whom much is given, much is required. Many of us work in a secular environment. And the enemy of our soul has said, you can't share the gospel here. This is a secular workplace. No, you, that is your mission field. Evangelism is not weird. It, it's not for weirdos. It's not like this awkward thing. It doesn't have to be. No, it's a conversation about how God showed up for you yesterday. About how he healed your condition. About how he helped you pay your rent. About how he showed up for your son or your daughter. That is evangelism. You're testifying to people about what you have seen God do. I mean, your salvation story is absolutely a testimony, but that's not the only testimony. What about the testimony that God did for you two days ago, five days ago? Because if you walk with him, he's showing up for you all the time. Never forget it. Be interruptible, be approachable in the name of Jesus. Because the testimony of your life, I mean, Revelation tells us how do they overcome the enemy of their soul? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Like, I always want to be the person who shows up for people. If someone passes away or they're going through a hard season, you like bring them a meal. And that's awesome to be the hands and the feet, but you actually have to tell them verbally the reason for the hope that is within you, what has compelled you to go to their door. It's Jesus. It's margin that says, I have time to tend to you. Even though the world out here is super busy and urgent and emergent, I have time to tell you about the one whose power went out to meet me. Because he wants it to go out to meet you in the middle of your mess as well. Verse 32, but he kept on looking around to see who'd done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she'd done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. You know, I love that because she was wanting to touch and go. She's been in isolation and she is okay there. She's like, please don't look at me. Please don't call attention to me. I just want to touch him and I want to go. And you know what? He's like, I'm going to call you out. For your own good, I'm going to call and draw attention to you. Because we were made for relationship. The reason it is the body of Christ is because we all have a role to play. You might be the elbow. You might be the toe. You might be the mouth but you have a role to play in the body of Christ. 
God will not let you remain in isolation. This woman would have loved to be the fly on the wall, but instead Jesus calls her out for her own good. Not to embarrass her, not to shame her, but to set her free. I mean, this is a woman coming out of a lifelong condition and identity, and he's like, no longer, no longer are you the woman with the issue. I'm going to heal you and make you whole, and I'm going to set you in this community of believers around you to do life. You know, it's interesting to me, I was given this visual by a, a mighty man of prayer one time, and it has stuck with me. He said, you know, if you get a cut on your forearm, you don't cut off your whole forearm and throw it on the ground, it will never be healed. But if you get a cut on your forearm and you leave your forearm exactly where it's supposed to be in your body, all of the other members of your body will rush blood to that injury, and it will actually bring healing to you from the inside out. Sometimes we get injured and we're just going to cut ourselves off. We're embarrassed by the condition. We're embarrassed by the storm or the situation. We don't want anyone to know that our marriage is falling apart. We don't want anyone to know that we're struggling with fertility. I believe in the name of Jesus, you will have a baby next year on this stage. You know what that is born out of? It's a vulnerability that says, you know what, I love God, but I don't have it all together. And I need the body to come around me and lift my arms for the battle. Jesus will not let us stay in isolation every time he calls us out. And it's for our own good, not to shame us. Even the woman at the well, I mean, we're all so familiar with that story. Like it used to bother me when Jesus was like, you've been married five times and the man you're sleeping with now isn't even your husband. But you know what he was doing? He was saying, no, there is a better way. I see you. I see the brokenness and I'm not shaming you. I'm not condemning you. And when she recognizes this infinite love of the father, she's then running to the people going, hey, come here. This is a woman who had previously only ever been in isolation, going to the well by herself. And now all of a sudden she's running back to the village going, come here, come here. Come. I mean, can you imagine? This is the same Jesus who says to the woman, who was it? Come forward. I want to see you come forward. There's a lesson in the vulnerability, in the accountability that comes from being plugged in and planted in the body of Christ. When you're willing to say, you know what, we're struggling with this. This seems like it's falling apart. Like, are you willing to tell somebody? Because the injured members cannot care for themselves. They need the other members of the body to run to them until they're strong again. That's why he says, you know, in your weakness, my power is made perfect. That's why I will boast in my weakness. We don't boast in our weakness. We go hole up inside our hut until it gets to the point where we are so desperate that we're like, okay, I've got to see him move today. I have to see it today. And you bust out of there and you're pressing through the crowd to get to his feet. What I love about going to Israel is I always learn something about like the clothing, the wardrobe. Like it was all so intentional. 
And I learned that the, the corner of the robe would be the, the square that this woman was trying to get to. It's called the kanaf. It's in the corner. That's where she was trying to get to. And there's something, again, about the posture of being lowly before Jesus, face down, prostrate on the ground. God, I need you. And she grabs for his robe and he sees her. Even though he's standing and he's looking here, he sees her. He recognizes her. He recognizes you today. The fact that you are here, not an accident, but by design, that you would be planted and plugged in to a life-giving, truth-preaching church so that you could help each other. Because sometimes you're the helper and sometimes you need help. It's just how the body works. So Jesus says, you came for a physical healing and absolutely you got it. But when you come to Jesus, you get more than you came for. We think we know what we need. We need a physical healing. Jesus, I've got to touch your robe. I I need this bleeding to stop. And then he says, daughter, this is salvation. This is physical healing and this is spiritual healing. Lest we think that we know everything that we need. He knows everything that we need. And when we come to him, he gives us more than we came for every time. Every time. Now it's daughter, you're mine. The late great theologian R.C. Sproul, I used to love when he would say, it's not do you know God, it's does he know you? Does he call you daughter? Does he call you son? Does he know your name? That's how you know when you're his kid. And quite frankly, when you know, you know that you know that you know that you know. There's no doubting. Since I've seen him, I've never doubted my salvation. I think of my my earlier years. I mean, I was raised right. I was in church. All the things that you would think you need to do, like those are good, important things, but I hadn't seen him. Until the day I saw him. And then the day I saw him, I, I don't, everything changed. Like, I'm not, I can't go back. I'm now compelled to tell people because I know the transformation that only he can bring. Through relationship, not through religion. The world doesn't need our religion. They need our relationship. Because there's power in the relationship. There's no power in the religion The power comes out of relationship with the one who can, the only one. Jesus says, daughter, you're mine. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Verse 35, we're going to get back to Jairus now. While Jesus was still speaking to this woman, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter's dead. There's no use in troubling the teacher now. Jesus overheard them, and he said, Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. You know, Jesus' ways are altogether different. Isaiah 55, his ways are higher, his thoughts are higher. He does not operate according to our limitations, according to our schedule, our calendar. His timetable is altogether different, and what his messenger, Jairus, is like, well, too late. He missed the boat. He could have done it, but he didn't do it. He didn't show up on time, and now it's dead. But what does Jesus know 
Jesus knows that he has the power to resurrect dead things. You may be looking at your marriage, you're looking at your wayward kid, you're looking at your addiction, you're looking at your bank account, and you're declaring it's too late. It's too far gone. It's dead. And the messengers around you are like, you know what? It's dead. It's been too long. It's gone. Forget about it. Don't trouble Jesus now. And Jesus is saying, do not be afraid. Just have faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In Isaiah, it says the Lord's arm is never too short to save. You know what that means? There is no person, no situation, no relationship that is too far gone for Jesus. Because Jairus, And all of his messengers are saying, it's too late. And Jesus speaks a better word. I'm still the God who resurrects. Nothing is impossible for me. Nothing. So Jesus says, have faith. Verse 37, then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all the commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. Like, lest we think that she was actually only asleep. No, she was dead. Like, we know that because they would have hired professional weepers and wailers during a funeral procession. You think you're at the funeral, people, but Jesus still resurrects dead things. He's still the God who calls things that are not as though they are. He's still the God who takes an absolute heap of ashes and somehow makes them beautiful. He calls dry bones to live again. He is the God over the situation and the storm of your life today. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is the same The funeral might be underway, but God, but God. But what I love about this is it says in verse 40, the crowd laughed at him. He made them all leave. You know what? There will always be naysayers, sometimes even well-meaning naysayers, but they can't believe with you because they've never seen it. They've never seen someone come out of a wheelchair. They've never seen someone get off of meth. They've never seen someone's dental work regrown. Pastor was telling me a story about that this morning. Amazing. But sometimes even well-meaning Christians don't actually believe. I'm telling you, if you're looking at an impossible situation, it's up to you to check your environment. Whose voice are you listening to? Because this is Jesus himself. Making the naysayers leave. They're laughing. They won't believe. They have the skeptical unbelief. And Jesus says, those of you with an awe-filled wonder, you can come in. We've got to learn that it's up to us to check our environment. Whose voice is the loudest one in your ear? Because I want to surround myself with people of faith who will help me believe 
for something that I can't actually fathom. Who on my hard days will let me borrow their mustard seed of faith. And they'll stand in the gap for me to believe for something that maybe none of us have ever seen. But we serve the God for whom nothing is impossible. Check your environment today. Make sure that the loudest voice in your ear is a voice who will believe with you, who will have faith with you. And I love this. It says, he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. That's amazing. That's amazing. They can't not go and tell what has happened. It's interesting if you read on, Jesus is like, don't tell anybody. But you know what's interesting is word gets around. When you have a girl, when you're Jairus and the whole town knows you, and your little girl and all the messengers see her dead, and now they see her alive. Like, does our life beg a question? Do people look at you at work and they're like, what is up with that man? What is the joy that he has? I can remember um, when we, uh, the last company that I worked for had like these major layoffs. And my husband had been laid off three different times. And so we knew, it's like we knew that it was Bloody Friday. We just knew because it was like that call that you never get. Hey, we have a meeting at this time on this day and everybody has to be there. And he was like, oh man, been down this road before. And I had some, some friends, close friends, get laid off. And it was the, actually the only layoff that my husband had ever survived. But what was so interesting is the conversations that that spurred from people going, how are you not completely freaking out? Like you have three mouths to feed. And it was just like before we knew like what our fate was going to be that day, right? And it was like, you know what? Because we've seen the goodness of God in the land of the living enough times that we have a track record with the Lord. That's the testimony of, of your life, of my life, that people look at you and you'll, you're peculiar. Like you've never looked more unlike the world, child of God, than you do right now. You are a peculiar people. But honestly, should beg a question of your life, like how is she so peaceful and joyful despite what I know she's going through right now? That is your testimony. That is your witness. That is building a bridge to people who need to know him. They get to know him by the word of your testimony, by being a, a light in a dark place, by bringing Jesus, not your religion, your relationship with God. You know, I want to end on this testimony because it's just coming to mind. Um, I recently uh, got to speak at a church outside of Springfield, tiny little town. And um, this is what I do now full time. Like um, I left my other, my second job about a year ago just to speak to churches. And it's awesome to meet pastors and, and people of God all over the Ozarks um, and beyond in some cases of just what God has done for them. But I was recently speaking at this little church, um, a Nazarene church, and got to know the pastor and his wife just a little bit that day. And after I, I spoke, he said, hey, would you guys, would you have time to come back and visit with my wife and me? And I said, sure. 
And it was such a gift that I didn't know I needed. And I went back, and we were all three sitting in his office just chatting. And um, I was trying to break the ice. It's what I do. I talk to doorknobs and everybody in between. And so it was like this awkward silence. I'm like, so tell me about when you came to Christ. You know, he was getting everything situated. And um, in my mind, it was going to be like a story of like yesteryear, you know. Um, and so he starts telling me the story, and he's getting really emotional. And he's like, well, you know, um, I knew that I was called to pastor. I knew that I was called to preach. And, and there, I just couldn't, I had this addiction, and I couldn't get a hold of it. I couldn't get control of it. And, and I thought he was talking about something that happened yesterday because he was so emotional. And, and then he says, yeah, it was in 1988, and my marriage was falling apart, and, and my wife, my beautiful wife, and, and they're still happily married, you know, and she said, yeah, I was raised a pastor's kid, but he had a pornography addiction, and it was destroying our marriage, and I knew that God had called me to marry a preacher, but he wasn't preaching, and so I was on the floor of my apartment crying out to God, and I told him, God, unless you show up, I don't believe in you because I have never seen you at work. I've never seen your power. Like, what is this, God? I, I thought I knew you, but I've never seen you. Like, God, I've got to move into this relationship where I can trust you no matter what. But I know there's a call on my husband's life, and he's not walking in it, and our marriage is horrific. And she has this moment with the Lord of just reassurance before anything circumstantially had changed. And they're walking downtown at the time, living in Indianapolis. And there's a couple who says to them, hey, I don't know why, but I just feel like the Lord wants you to come to our church. And so here's the address, and here's when we meet. And so they showed up one day. And there was a woman sitting on the first row, white-haired grandma. And the pastor says, hey, could you come up and pray? And so the woman starts praying, and she said, for all of the depressed and the disillusioned and the downtrodden and, and, and those who are far from God, God, show them your power today. Show them that you see them today. And, and he says that he was sitting in the very back row, and he just jumped up. And he said, that woman, that old lady was just praying for me. And so the pastor was like, oh, okay, well, come up here. What's going on? And he said, well, I know that I'm supposed to preach but, but I'm addicted to pornography, and I have been for a long time, and I can't kick it. And I can't ever preach with any sincere conviction unless I believe that God actually brings victory. Then how am I going to declare a victorious Jesus? And so they prayed over this couple, and they leave. And he said for a full year, he had complete victory. Like he just had zero desire, zero eye for pornography. And then there was a day in 1989 where he walked into a video store because this was, you know, pre-internet. So he's like reaching up to rent a pornographic video and he feels the Holy Spirit say no. And so he puts his hand down and he starts to reach up again and he felt the Holy Spirit say, if you rent that video, I will leave you. And he dropped to the floor and sobbed in repentance. And he walked out the door, ended up getting his first church, and he's still pastoring today. And it was the coolest thing to hear this pastor tell the story of the God who is still victorious. 
And now he preaches with conviction about a God who can overcome addiction. And, he, and people find freedom because he has found freedom. Like I'm telling you that my life is far from perfect, but I'm telling you that I'm not the same that I used to be. Many of you are not the same you used to be. But are you telling them? Because honestly, to hear the pastor tell this story as if it were yesterday, and it was actually in 1988, was so beautiful for me. Because I never want to lose my zeal. I never want to lose my passion. I never want to, despite my own human failure, forget that God offers freedom to the captives. Who are you telling? Some of you need that freedom today. Others of you, whether it was 1988 or 1964, you have found that freedom. Now go and tell them that you once were lost, but now you are found. That you once were blind, but now you've seen. Once you've seen, you can't not tell them. You're compelled to tell them. Jesus was compelled to go through Samaria to meet a woman at her well who went from isolation and bondage to complete and total freedom. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, that you offer freedom to all those who are in captivity. And Lord, it is a place of desperation, Lord, where we see you do your best work. So God, I just pray that whatever situation, relationship, issue that people have walked in here with today, I just pray, oh God, Lord, that they would see your face today. God, that they would see you move. Lord, that they would go from hearing about you to seeing you. God, that they would lay down before your feet, the feet of the cross, and say, God, I'm desperate for you today. Lord, that there will be a level of reckless abandon, Lord, of worshiping you despite what anyone says or thinks or any care of man. But Lord, they would care only about the applause of heaven, the opinion of heaven today. Jesus, meet every person exactly where they are. Sit at the well of their life and show them, God, that there is a better way. Lord, it is by your blood, through the cross, Lord. Thank you for your son who does for us what we could never do for ourselves. God, who speaks to us in our moment of weakness and says, don't do it, don't do it. I'm with you, I'm for you, I'm rooting you on. God, I pray, Lord, that we would be a people, Lord, who care more about what you think than what man has ever thought. And Lord, that we would plug and plant ourselves into the body of Christ. And God, that we would just be a people who, who flourish because we are planted in the house of the Lord. I'm going to turn it back over to Derek right now. And I just want to stay in this attitude of prayer because I know that some of you need a touch today from God. You need a revelation today. You need power today over pornography, over addiction, over your poverty mentality. 
That's a good word. Some of you have this poverty mentality. It's like you're trying to keep and keep and keep, and God is saying, no, no, it is not in your striving. It is in your surrender. Would you surrender today to the God who is for you? In Jesus' name. I believe we need to respond. We have to respond to that word. If any part of that message spoke to you, and it may be the pornography part, but if you're standing, you don't look at someone else and go, porn. It could be any part of that message that went, and it spoke to me. And I'm the evangelist, and I'm going, we need to get out there and just share the story of the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ. If that, I'm not going to draw this out. If that spoke to you, would you stand with us, please, and we're going to pray. If you need areas in your life to be cleansed by Jesus and things to be broken off, this is the opportunity. If you need things dealt with, this is the opportunity. And we're going to sort of trust now that as Sarah prays over us, there will be a supernatural surgery that takes place. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for this posture of surrender, God. Just standing where we are, Lord, arms raised to you, Lord. It is our sign of surrender today, God. We are done striving. And Lord, we are here in surrender, Lord, in repentance, Lord. God, we turn to you, Jesus, and we say, have your way in this place. God, I pray that chains of addiction would be broken, that generational poverty would be broken. Lord Jesus, that religion would be broken. God, that the spirit of religion would flee in the name of Jesus. And God, that just your relationship, God, would rest on this house. God, that you would raise up this church. God, to be a beacon of light to the lost in this community, in their workplaces individually. God, in families. God, I just praise you, Lord, that you are well able. God, that you know every single need. God, you know every wayward child. You know every broken marriage. God, you know every broken part. And you say, come, all who are thirsty. Oh God, I just pray, Lord, that you would refresh us today. That you would renew us today. God, that you would mend relationship today, oh God. Father, thank you, God, for the response of your people. God, I'm just reminded of that pastor who dropped to his knees and sobbed before you, God, because you met him in that place. And God, he's never been the same. I pray that we would never be the same. God, I pray that today, oh God, would be the day of salvation. Right now would be the appointed hour. Father, have your way in this place, God. And Lord, even though it's a corporate setting and the crowd is pressing around you, God, you are an individual God. You know when power goes out. So I pray, oh God, that we would feel today the individual touch from heaven in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you, please don't take your seats. We, we're going to be breaking bread. We're having communion together. We do this every Sunday because this is, a, this is what we do as Dayspring. We celebrate the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a thing we've added on. This is part of the gospel. We have tables all across the sanctuary. If you'd make your way there, grab one of the little cups of juice and one of the little wafers as we celebrate. I want to encourage you families, get together in your little tribes, your little clusters, and you break bread and we celebrate what Jesus has done for us.
just want to encourage you, you do not have to be a member of Dayspring Church to have communion with us. Breaking bread is the, the right, it's the privilege of every born-again child of God. So while everyone's just finding their way back to their seats, I just want to remind you, this Thursday morning at 7 a.m., we're going to be gathering here in the sanctuary. It's going to be for half an hour. We're going to have a celebratory service where we celebrate the ascension of Jesus Christ back to heaven. And that was the precursor to us in the Holy Spirit coming for Pentecost. I want to encourage you. It's going to be half an hour on Thursday morning. We're going to get together. We're just going to share a word. From 6.30, we're going to have some coffee in the uh, community center. But come and do, come and be something different. Come and challenge yourself out of your comfort zone for the, just to celebrate what Jesus has done. 7 a.m. So what we're going to do is the leadership meeting that we've been, the leadership training that we've had on the Wednesday night, we're not going to do this week. Take that night off so that you're ready and fresh on the Thursday morning to celebrate Ascension Day. But let's do this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus' body that is broken. We thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for your, just your obedience and your willingness to lay down everything for us. We eat this in remembrance of what you did for us and continue to do for us. In Jesus' name. Old song. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I grew up hating church, but I remember that song. It had a profound impact on my life. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's not your good works. It's not your best efforts. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So we honor you, King Jesus, for shedding your blood for us. We drink this in remembrance of you, our King. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your kindness and your unfailing love. Thank you for a wonderful morning, Lord God. I pray your blessing over us as we go and celebrate moms and have a wonderful afternoon. We honor you, our King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So good to have seen you guys. Please remember, if you brought children with, take them home. If they're not in the sanctuary, go and get them. We will see you on Thursday morning. God bless you.